The unofficial end to summer is here. School has started for most, football season is upon us, and soon the leaves will be changing color. At the DSR Network, we remain as busy as ever with a full slate of podcasts scheduled for the fall. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching two new shows with new hosts, creating even more content for our members. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, bonus content, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of September, you'll receive 20% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SCHOOL at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SCHOOL. Thank you for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, David Rothkopf, and uh, uh, it is that time of the week when we have a conversation about what's going on on the legal front. This usually entails the Supreme Court or um, the many trials of Donald Trump. Uh, And we are very fortunate to have with us today to discuss these things, Kimberly Atkins-Store, who is a senior opinion writer and columnist for the Boston Globe Opinion. She's also an MSNBC contributor and co-host of one of our favorite podcasts, Sisters-in-Law, which features many other folks whom we love and admire. and, And so far, uh, Kim, you're the first we have. We, we haven't spoken to you, so we had to remedy that. Uh, and I'm glad you could join us. Well, thank you for having me, David. It's a treat. Um, yeah, no, I understand it's not a big treat in your life since you've just been on vacation in Italy for two weeks. Um, <laughs> do you want me to bring you up to date on what's going on with the Trump trust? <laughs> you may have to. You may have to. I mean, I did try to. Uh, bring myself up to speed. You know, it's one thing that's interesting about uh, the the legalities of Trump world is in one sense, things change every day. But in another sense, it's almost like the the soap operas that I used to watch when I was in college. Like you cannot look at it for weeks at a time and then you turn it back on and you, you know exactly where to pick up because it's kind of exactly the same. So it's sort of the feeling that uh, I have here. You know, it's, I, I'm tempted to just go off in another direction there because there was a period when people in college watched soap operas. And I think my guess is that people in college now don't even know what soap operas are. Yeah, I, I think you're probably right. I'm dating myself. You know, that was before reality TV and TikTok and all those other things. But I, I will admit that, and, and it's fine if it, it ages me. I'm 50 years old. I used to schedule my college classes around General Hospital. I didn't want any classes at 3 o'clock, and my friends and I would gather in the student union and right. watch General Hospital. And if I said Luke and Laura, everybody... Yes. Every you would know, but no one else, yes. you know, would no one else would have any idea what we were talking about. Um, 
Uh, well, let's let's move on from that. Uh, you know, the, the 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 interesting thing, of course, as we live in this era of this one guy who just won't go away, um, is that with seven trials now, there are developments every day. I mean, we, you know, we could do twenty four hour a day live. In fact, sisters in law ought to consider that. Um, <laughs> Uh, but let's let's just let me skip around from a couple of things. One thing that happened today, and again, this is a little bit like the soap opera thing because it's happening every day, is somebody else files a motion. In this case, in Fulton County, in this case, Donald Trump, in an effort to delay um, and to seek some magical outcome, which is unfounded in the law. In this particular case, Trump has filed to move his um, uh, case out of Georgia and into federal court. Um, and, you know, the stories I read about it said, because he thinks this way he's got immunity. What do you, what do you think of, what do you, what do you think of all that? Well, I think this is one of many instances where we understand what a terrible job it is for any attorney to have Donald Trump as a client, because not only does he not listen to anyone, but it seems clear from this and other filings that these are being done not because the legal team is trying to craft some sort of coherent strategy in order to move ahead. It's because Donald Trump is in control and he is requiring that these types of uh, motions be continuously made, uh, asserting nonsensical arguments or just a fundamental misunderstanding of how the law works. Is it possible for Donald Trump to, you know, file a motion to have a case removed to federal court? He can file that motion, yes. Now, what that is usually, that's usually done for the purpose uh, of, if you are a federal official, like if you were president of the United States, um, we have procedures in in criminal procedure to keep people from bringing a lot of charges against you in state to make you have to go all over the country and fight these. And one way to do that is say, okay, let's do it in federal court. I'm a federal official. This is this arose out of my job. And I can, A, probably get a fairer shake and not just be at the whims of peop- of courts in these individual states, but also be able to assert some defenses based on the fact that I was this federal officer. Here, there is nothing about trying to subvert the, resort- the results of an election that falls under his job or duty as president of the United States. So I think that this motion will likely fail. And even if it if he was successful, being in federal court does not give you immunity. The case would move forward otherwise exactly the same. State prosecutors would prosecute it. it state law would apply. And things like the fact that he cannot uh, you know, pardon himself or, or try to turn this into a federal case in other ways would also apply. So um, it doesn't mean what he thinks it means, David. Yeah, well, that's, that, answer that's, that. that's, again, that's one of those statements that you could Put on a loop, and and uh, um, uh, on the other hand, sometimes he says things that he does mean, um, but we know aren't going to happen anyway. Yesterday, he was interviewed on the Hugh Hewitt show, um, a show I had never listened to because I find it impossible to listen to Hugh Hewitt. Um, uh, but on that show, Hugh Hewitt, he, Hugh Hewitt was asking Trump about how he's going to handle these things, and Trump said. 
oh, no, I'm going to take the stand. I'm going to testify in my defense. And, you know, I and most other sentient people were like, no, you're not. But his lawyer must have been, I don't know, his lawyer must have a bottle of scotch on the desk or something just to handle this all day long. What what do you think of that kind of a statement? I think the same. I mean, look, Donald Trump has been able to use PR, essentially, um, to get himself out of whatever jam he has found himself so far and to not be held accountable. He's been able to spin, publicly spin his way out of a lot of things. But I think he's discovering now, and if he hasn't, he will quickly, that you cannot spin your way out of a criminal case. You can't spin your way out of a criminal indictment. And the way that these trials work, generally speaking, it is rare in a normal criminal case for a defendant to have any reason to take the stand. The only reason that a defendant might take the stand in a criminal case is if there is a defense being asserted that only the knowledge of the defendant can advance, right? Because it it is disadvantageous to do that because it opens you up to cross-examination by the prosecutor, which you never want. Donald Trump is not normal, so elevate that by 100. It is impossible, in, in as far as I can see, I'm not a psychologist, but I don't see him having the ability, even under oath, to tell the truth. And what he would be doing, I, I hated when people used to call this a perjury trap, trap, people trying to depose Donald Trump. It's a perjury. It's not a trap. It's just Donald Trump. He can't tell the truth. <laughs> so if he's under oath, it's perilous to him. Um, and his attorneys know this. So I, I don't see any circumstance under which he'd take the stand. I think he knows this. I think this is just like that press conference he was going to do with that, you know, inconvertible evidence. Remember that? Yeah. Um, proving that all of this was just a witch hunt that somehow never happened. I, I think this claim about him taking the stand is something like that. Yeah, it's like releasing his taxes or the infrastructure plan that he had or anything else. There's just a very, very high bullshit quotient involved. Another thing he said in this, by the way, was, I mean, Hugh Hewitt um, said, well, you, and this is a, you know, shows what a great journalist he is. He said, well, you, you wouldn't have told anybody to move boxes around at Mar-a-Lago, would you? <laughs> and Trump, you know, deftly said, well, I'm not telling you that, Hugh, but, but I want you to know the President's Re- Presidential Records Act covers me. I could do whatever I want. So because I could do whatever I want, um, everything I did was okay, but I'm not going to talk about it. I, I've actually read the Presidential Records Act. It's not that long. Um, I don't think it says what he thinks it says, uh, to quote Inigo Montoya. Yeah, it does not. It does not. And he's not being charged under the under the Presidential Records Act. He's being charged under a statute that makes it illegal to mishandle uh, sensitive documents in terms of national security. So, yeah, no, nothing that he's saying makes any sense. But, um, you know, this isn't new. Yeah. I realized, by the way, that Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride didn't say that. Somebody else did. Somebody would inevitably write in to correct me because... That's, you know, what Princess Bride obsessives are like. But let me switch. Another thing we've learned is that uh, one of his employees who handled the IT stuff at Mar-a-Lago has flipped um, and is now actively, not not only has switched lawyers and has switched his story, which we knew before, 
but he's now actively working with prosecutors. Um, that sounds like bad news to me for Donald Trump. Uh, what do you say? Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at the Global Dispatches podcast. Global Dispatches is the longest-running independent world news podcast. It's hosted by veteran international affairs journalist Mark Leon Goldberg, who conducts thoughtful interviews with policymakers, think tankers, journalists, and experts of all stripes from around the world. The Guardian calls it, quote, a podcast to make you smarter, end quote. We agree. Global dispatches cover issues ranging from conflicts and crises in Africa and the Middle East to long-term trends in international relations and the latest geopolitical intrigues at the UN and beyond. If you like Deep State Radio, and we certainly hope you like Deep State Radio, you will certainly appreciate Global Dispatches. You can find a link to Global Dispatches in the show notes of this episode or find Global Dispatches World News That Matters on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, absolutely. But it's not um, surprising to me. I expected that to happen. Look, Donald Trump is used to having people around him and the people around him um, who enjoy that proximity because of the power it brings or because of whatever reason, very quickly learn that that loyalty uh, extends one way, that Donald Trump expects that loyalty out of them, but he is not loyal back. And when they are facing actual real criminal uh, consequences based on being uh, a part of uh, his inner circle, then I think at one point they they at some point many of them come to the conclusion that it's better for them to uh, think about their own interests because Donald Trump is not thinking about their interests. We've seen people like Michael Cohen uh, come to that conclusion very publicly, and I think not just in this case, the classified documents case. I think you're going to see people flip in the January sixth case. I think you're going to uh, see people um, witnesses begin to cooperate if they haven't already in the Georgia case. This is typical of what happens in criminal cases. But I think when it comes to Donald Trump, these people who got in his orbit and are finding that uh, there was nothing good to come of it, I can see very quickly them wanting to protect themselves and their families and uh, cooperate if that is in their interest. Yeah, I think there's going to be this kind of collective wily Coyote moment. You know, <laughs> when Wiley Coyote's off the cliff and his legs are so, and all of a sudden he realizes he's about to fall. And all of yeah. these people have been sort of caught up in the world of Donald Trump. And slowly it's starting to happen. You know, all of a sudden, Jenna Ellis or one of these people is like, wait, you're, you're not paying my legal bills? And, and somebody else is like, um, wait, these people are turning on him? And, and, and the lawyer you're paying for isn't actually representing my interests. He's representing right. your interests. And, you know, I, there's kind of a house of cards thing. And at some point, presumably, there's a, a tipping point, right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely that's absolutely right. And generally speaking, I mean, the whole idea that so many of these people were being represented by the same legal team or being paid for out of the same fund is really unusual. It's not hard to see 
that a lot of these people will have disparate interests as this case proceeds. And generally speaking, as an attorney, you're not supposed to represent people who may be adversaries, who may serve as uh, potential witnesses against one another, for example. It's totally fine to have a, a an agreement for joint representation. But in this case, it just doesn't seem to make much sense. So I think as it goes, as we go forward, a lot of the defendants will begin to realize that it doesn't make sense for them. Uh, and we will see more of this. Yeah, and also, you know, there's this other phenomenon. Um, another bit of the news this week is uh, Enrique Tario, the head of the Proud Boys, got um, uh, sentenced to 22 years in, in federal prison for his role in uh, uh, the January 6th uprising. Uh, and surely at some point along the way when Roger Stone was whispering sweet nothings in his ear or, you know, he was visiting the White House as he did just a couple of weeks before the January 6th thing, uh, he must have thought, oh, I got cover here. President Trump, he's going to pardon me, or you know, uh, and 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 you know, now he's like going, oh, I'm going to jail for 22 years, and you know, you know, he he may think, well, maybe if Trump gets reelected, he'll pardon me, um, but a bunch of these people are going to have a wake up moment in the course of the next year when they go, uh oh, what if he doesn't get reelected? And um, I think on top of that, another one is, you know, if you're Jenna Ellis or uh, Eastman or Rudy or, uh, or, or, or even Mark Meadows, it's quite possible that, you know, you're going to watch and you're going to see things in the press where people say, oh, no, you have to, Trump, Trump can't be put in a jail. Uh, Trump's going to have to be, uh, confined in his home if he's convicted. But they're all going to go to a jail, you know, and 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 they're all of a sudden going to see that there's just a potentially rather different set of consequences for them than for him. Yeah. So for, first of all, I used to think that Donald Trump wouldn't be able to go to a physical jail, that that wasn't, wouldn't be logistically feasible. I've changed my mind on that. Um, after talking to folks, uh, both in corrections and in national security, that it could be possible for him to be. How would, in, how would that, how would that uh, work? He would be in a cell. He'd have Secret Service coverage. You'd have one or two agents who would be outside that cell. They could rotate um, in order for to keep him safe. I think most logistically, he would have to be away from the general population. The one concern that I had is in a prison. Um, more so than the Secret Service, uh, Secret Service could protect him, but I'd worry that he would be subject to, since he knows national secrets, um, maybe some, it would be a national security risk that somebody could threaten him in order to get some sort of secrets out of him. But I think if he is separated, from what people have told me, if he's separated from the population, you have Secret Service in there, that there's no reason that he couldn't be put away. So that's just a little bit of food for thought. But back to um, the idea of the people around Trump facing real consequences. And I'm glad you brought up the um, the Terrio conviction, 22 years for January 6th. I, I wrote a column this week. It's about how we should stop covering um, the GOP primary as a horse race because this isn't a normal time. It's not a regular horse race and the stakes are way too high. But I start with the point that the uh, seditious conspiracy 
for which Terrio was convicted. We all saw when it began. It began during a debate in 2020 when Donald Trump said, Proud Boys, stand, stand back and stand by. That was the beginning of the conspiracy. It was on national television. And then we saw January 6th at the end. And I understand the reason why Jack Smith did not charge Donald Trump practically with seditious conspiracy, because it's a lot easier and cleaner to charge him the way that he did. These are charges that he know he knows will stick. And it's going to it, trying to make him a part of this conspiracy would have been uh, practically difficult and probably wasn't something that they could get done within a year. I get that. But I also think it's really important for the American people to keep front of mind that the seditious conspiracy that we've seen leaders of the, the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and others go to prison with hefty, hefty sentences for could not have happened without Donald Trump, without his direction, uh, and, and without him really being the, the ringleader of that conspiracy. And I just, and that, among other reasons, is why I, I am frustrated with the coverage of his bid to return to power when he destroyed every guardrail for our democracy that he came across that he thought would keep him from keeping perpetual power like an autocrat. And how we can't put that in the context of any coverage we're giving to this race. Like, who cares what, you know, I, I mentioned that there was a, a a feature about the candidate's Spotify. I do not care what's on Nikki Haley's Spotify list. I care about the, the the future of our democracy. And we need to cover this, not like it's a sporting event, but like our very government depends on it. And I think that's one thing to keep front of mind. Terrio, Roger Stone is a part of this. Um, I, I'm still gobsmacked that we have not seen more charges level, leveled against uh, people like Steve Bannon. This was a group of people who tried to destroy our democracy. And I think anytime we talk about this, we have to keep that front of mind. Yeah, you know, that's a really good point. And uh, it, it triggers me a little bit because watching the uh, Tario sentencing and the other sentencing that was done by this judge, uh, in every case, uh, while the sentences were fairly substantial, they were not what the federal government had asked for. And when I read the uh, uh, judge's sort of explanations for his decisions that occurred during the sentencing hearings, in every case, he was heavily focused on violence, heavily focused on comparing these acts of terrorism to other, other acts of terrorism where there was large loss of life. And very not so focused on what you just talked about, which is the attack on national institutions um, uh, as opposed to on people per se. And he seemed to suggest, well, if you kill a lot of people, you're going to have to have a higher sentence than if you try to destroy our democracy. This was, by the way, a uh, Trump-appointed judge. And I think a lot of journalists have kind of leaned back and said, well, look, the Trump-appointed judge gave him this many years. Let's just take that as the story. Um, but I think in all these cases, they deserve more. If you're like me, you're probably more than a bit frustrated with the state of our political system today. So why does American democracy look the way it does? And how can we make it more responsive to the people it was formed to serve? 
Democracy Decoded, a podcast by Campaign Legal Center, examines our government and discusses innovative ideas that could lead to a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Host Simone Leeper speaks with experts from across the political spectrum and takes a deep dive into the forces fueling our elections, not just in our nation's capital, but at all levels of government. Democracy Decoded will help you make sense of how we currently elect our leaders and hold them accountable, and how we can better ensure that all citizens have the right to have their voices heard. Clearly, these are exactly the issues we need to be discussing right now, given what is happening all around us. Tune in to learn more about how we can use innovative ideas to build a stronger, more transparent, accountable, and inclusive democracy. Listen at democracydecoded.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. I would not disagree with you. I wouldn't disagree with you for a minute. I think that's exactly right. Um, So, you know, the great thing is, you know, here we have a half an hour and you would think, you know, well, you could run out of Trump cases, but oh no. Um, Oh no, there's so many. We will not run out of them. Um, uh, And I'm just taking stories from the past, like 48 hours. I just don't, I don't want to go back that far. Um, Another story from the past 48 hours is a, um, uh, a bunch of uh, folks, uh, uh, good citizens in Colorado, have taken it upon themselves to begin to launch a suit under the 14th Amendment saying, uh, apropos of your point earlier about seditious conspiracy and that Donald Trump was the guy behind it, that if you lead that kind of thing, you are automatically disqualified from um, uh, higher office. Uh, and I've seen so many rationalizations from the right, from the center, from, you know, people who want to present themselves as rational that, well, you know, this is an old bit of the Constitution or, well, you know, um, you know, this will just be controversial. What if he's not allowed this? Won't that make a lot of people unhappy? And, you know, these are people, by the way, who if you ask them about other kind of legal issues, they would say, oh, no, I'm a strict constructionist. I want to take right. the Constitution to the letter. Um, seems to me the letter of the Constitution is super clear on this. Um, but, you know, you're an expert. What do, what do you think? So I do, uh, long story short, I do believe constitutionally, based on the le- an originalist reading of the Constitution, that Donald Trump is ineligible to hold federal office again. The problem is because like many things, this is the first time we've been in this situation with the U.S. president. We don't have a clear stand standard for what constitutes engaged uh, engaging in an insurrection, right? There is. It would be easier if somehow, say, he were convicted of the ins- under the insurrection statute. That would be pretty plain to see. I'm not saying that that's necessary, but that would be clear. Or if there was some sort of declaration by a court or or Congress or something that this happened, but we don't have that. So what that means is this will have to be. That this is one reason why this uh, challenge out of Colorado was launched. There are others that have uh, been ready to make the same challenge. This would have to be litigated 
go up the appellate chain and ultimately be decide, decided by the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, I wrote another column saying everything that I just said to you. I do believe that he is um, disqualified. But at the moment, and this is something I say, um, I don't say lightly as somebody who went to school, studied law school, practiced law, and I've dedicated the vast majority of my journalism career to covering the law, including covering the Supreme Court. At this moment, I don't trust this court to make a good ruling on this. I worry that the ruling that ultimately comes out will not just be wrong, but could be destructive to our nation at this wait, moment. Wait a second. Yes, I you, know. are you, I'm, I'm glad I'm seated here. Are you suggesting yeah. that the nine men and women on our Supreme Court are not the coolest, calmest, best qualified, most judicious minds in America? I wish that I was certain that that was the case, but I am not. And so that's why, you know, I, I know that these challenges were coming and we will see what happens. And I have to hope for the best and hope that uh, people on the court will listen to, to learned people uh, like retired judge J. Michael Ludig and who who believe that this is um, the right interpretation of the Constitution. But I worry about that. I worry it's not just the, you know, the right wing, oh, bad things will happen if he's not on the ballot. I do worry that a decision by the U.S. Supreme Court has the potential, if that's what chooses, if that's what decides whether or not he's on the ballot, has the potential of not being accepted either by one faction of our nation or by another and serve to further erode that institution and erode our faith in all of our institutions. And that's why our democracy is so imperiled right now. I would rather see a definitive defeat electorally on election day of Donald Trump and making that be the end of it. But uh, it looks like we're going to get these challenges and we'll see what happens if the Supreme Court rules before the election. Yeah, well, I'd rather see a wise decision um, that made it clear that he was not eligible. The, the, the only thing I would point out uh, in response to that, is that in several of the cases regarding seditious conspiracy, um, uh, the the judge has noted that um, uh, by because people are being convicted of seditious conspiracy, that what took place was in fact an insurrection, and it's a little bit like Donald Trump's uh, E. Jean Carroll case, uh, in which the judge said because you were found liable. For all intents and purposes, you know, the public can assume you are guilty of rape. Uh, yeah. And, and you know, I mean, my sense is that a, a, a fair-minded court with a long-term interest of the U.S. at heart uh, or literal interpretation of the Constitution would say, well, this is the mastermind and he's got to be held accountable. You know, I think that, that that's a fair comparison and I think it's a very good one. I think perhaps what we will need to look out for is how careful and considered the first rulings in this case are. And if you get perhaps out of Colorado, a judge that very clearly knowing where this case is going, lays out a case that is very difficult for the Supreme Court to disagree with, like does it carefully, doesn't make any sweeping um, uh, conclusions and just very carefully and with good foundation makes a ruling that 
we think that there is enough here based on the seditious conspiracy convictions, based on other things, that we can say that the Fourth Amendment has been implicated, Fourteenth Amendment has been implicated in this. It will make it a lot easier down the line. But I also worry about, on the other side, um, judges in other places that are going to rule you know, entirely differently. So I'm a worrier, David. I'm a worrier by nature. (laughs) So all of this gives me agita. Um, I, I, you know, let's, I just want him, I just want him to be defeated by the American people who I know the majority of the American people. I I, I feel you as the listeners to our various podcasts know, when I was a kid, my parents nickname for me was Eeyore. And, uh, (laughs) So I, you know, I, sh- I share, I share the the anxiety. Um, all right, we've got a couple of minutes left, uh, but I got plenty of cases left. But let, let me go to one last one. Um, yeah. A, 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 another decision this week, past forty eight hours, uh, came down uh, in the E. Jean Carroll case, where the judge said, um, uh, "No, no, we've resolved this. You defamed her. The only thing we're going to decide in court." a la the Rudy Giuliani case, is how much money you owe her. Um, yeah. Now, amazingly, even though the judge has also said, you know, that means you're a rapist, Don, uh, America doesn't really seem to give a damn. Um, uh, but, you know, the, the, the real question is, how much money will it take for him not to then immediately after defame her again? I mean, this yeah. could go on for a long time, it seems to me. It really could. I mean, that's essentially what's happening here. It's like Groundhog's Day for litigation in this case, because the more he loses, the more he defames her, and then the more he loses again. But the truth of the matter is, I mean, Donald Trump, somebody who's famous for not thinking he has to pay for anything, I I don't think that that's going to be a deterrent at all. I do hope somehow that they are already doing like forensic analysis and figuring out what they can seize in order to get that payment out of him um, before he, you know, files various forms of bankruptcy again. I hope they actually see some of that money, but I don't think that's going to be a deterrent to him at all. Not at all. And I do think that this is important and that this case does bear on what kind of qualifications Donald Trump has to return to the presidency. We have somebody who is a, a vicious defamer, a habitual liar, and all of these things are important to him as a candidate. But I do worry to another point that you said that nobody seems to care. And Talking to a lot of people um, around the country in the past couple of months, I am concerned that all of these cases moving forward, even to people who pay a decent amount of attention to the news, it's confusing. I don't think that they don't care, but I think that there is a confusion about what's important, what isn't, a confusion about what um, even, you know, people may think that some things are politically motivated and not really. Um, in good faith, while other things are, I, I do, from what I've heard, people do give um, credence to Jack Smith's investigation, but they wonder what's going on in New York, or they wonder what's going on in Georgia. And that gives me a lot of concern. You know, we do our part on podcasts like this or on hashtag sisters in law to try to explain it all because it is a lot going on at once. But that doesn't mean that any of it is unimportant. You know, I think there was at the beginning this this thought that, oh, we're not going to really pay attention to this Al- Alvin Bragg prosecution. But 
trying to um, basically extort (laughs) someone for political advantage is important. That's an important case. Yes, it has to do with hush money being paid to somebody who, you know, was in the adult entertainment industry. Who cares? It's an important principle underlying it. The classified documents case is really important. The Eugene Carroll case is really important. A lot of important things can be happening at one time. And it doesn't mean we should discount some of it or we should put some aside. I know it's hard, but I think that Americans should be invested in understanding why it's all important and, and doing what they can to get the information that they need to understand it better. And I hope that that happens more in the months and year ahead. Well, I think, you know, people who are interested in that will benefit from reading what you write uh, and listening to on the podcast uh, that you do with our friends. Um, uh, I think, you know, candidly, journalists can do a better job. As you were just saying, uh, uh, you know, look at the, what people consider sort of the least of these cases, the Alvin Bragg case. It's not a hush money case, and it's not a porn star case. It's a case about um, somebody running for president trying to defraud the vo- voters of the United States, and, yeah. and 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 you know he that's how he started was defrauding the voters of the United States. That's what he did throughout his presidency. That's what he did at the end of his presidency. Um, and there is a deep sickness in the United States. Um, that two-thirds of Republicans has polled this week say, yeah, all this stuff makes me want to vote for him more. Um, yeah. uh, there is something broken, and I don't think it'll be resolved until we get uh, a strong electoral result as you talk about it. Uh, and for those of you who uh, may have a little bit of uh, low-level retribution in your 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 uh, uh a character and I'm I admit to be one of one of those. Imagine Donald Trump the minute after the election is called for Joe Biden, and he realizes, uh oh, all of these cases are ne- you know there's no way out. Uh, yep, that's going to be a very very dark moment of the soul, uh, uh, assuming that he has one. Uh, in any event. I am so delighted to have met you, Kim. I think this has been great. I hope you'll come back sometime. And uh, the only thing I know for sure um, uh, is that there's going to be plenty to discuss for the next, I don't know, year and a half, two years. Uh, so perhaps in that time, we'll we'll see you again. Well, thank you, David. It's been it's been a blast, despite the depressing subject matter. <laughs> And I'd happy I'd be happy to come back anytime. Well, I'll try to I'll try to schedule it so that there's good news by the time you come back. Uh, for ne- for now, thank you, Kim. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, uh, listen to the Sisters in Law podcast and follow Kim at the Boston Globe. And um, and we'll be back again each and every day, each and every week, covering this and other things that we think are important. Hope you'll be with us. Until then, bye bye.